Matcha here. I just wanted to make a quick episode to let everyone know what's been going on these last few weeks and how Corinne and I plan on continuing the podcast from here on out. Unfortunately, due to COVID-19 regulations and social distancing, Corinne and I have not been able to get together post-holidays to record for obvious safety and health reasons. But fret not, our podcast is just getting started. We have reviewed the last couple of formulas of our previous episodes, and we found that a lot of our positive feedback was geared most towards our spooky readings. Karen and I like this format too, so for future episodes, we're going to be doing a lot more fictional and non-fictional scary readings and stories for you all. As far as our research episodes go, we've tried a couple different things, and we plan on paraphrasing a lot more and simplifying our research, as well as adding spooky stories in between our findings to keep things fun and interesting. We've had a record number of listens as of recently, and we just want to say we love you guys. Thanks so much for your continuous support. We love making the podcast, and we don't want to stop. We hope we'll have more resources in the future so we can continue to pump out episodes on the regular. I also wanted to mention that we've had our very first merch purchase. Thank you at Pixelated Fox who bought our merch via DM on Instagram. With our first merch item being sold, we're going to post more merch options and pricing on our Instagram at Downright Scary Podcast. Right now, our merch is available in the USA only. We'll be working on international shipping in the future. We are also looking to buff up our social media platforms by creating a Facebook page and a Twitter, so stay tuned for those platforms. Once they're up and running, they'll be posted in our regular show notes. Now that I have all of my announcements out of the way, here's some spooky little stories read by yours truly. Stay tuned for episode 4 coming out soon as well, where Corinne and I do yet another creepy pasta reading. Now, you all know what comes next. Without a further ado, welcome to Downright Scary, a mini-sode with matcha. Hey guys, so, <laughs> pardon my intro, y'all already know me, I know that I can kind of switch between my chill relaxed mode and my announcement mode, but thanks for bearing with me through that um i'm just going solo today to post a mini-sode um just so that you guys know that we haven't quit the podcast it's still up and running just um haven't been able to get together with corinne and we're kind of working out some kinks so that we can record our next episode episode four but right now please enjoy um this mini-sode episode 3.5 that is literally what i think i'm gonna mark it under um 
because sometimes when I post through this platform, it asks me what episode it is. So I'm hoping it'll let me post 3.5. Otherwise, it'll probably list be listed under 3, even though I'm going to write it in as 3.5. So sorry, that's kind of useless information. But ironically, uh, just as I started recording this, it started raining outside. So if you hear some little pitter-patter ambiance, I don't know if the microphone's picking it up or not. But um, that is the rain outside that just started for my spooky ambiance. So jumping right into this first story, I'm going to be reading about The Limping Woman by Pimpinicious on Reddit. Um, of course, all of my links are going to be in the show notes in case you guys are curious. Um, so all of those sources are going to be in there. I'm going to jump right in, so stay tuned for some spookiness. <clears throat> you hear the uneven footsteps first. Drag. Drag. That's how you know she's behind you. The heel is broken off of her left shoe and she drags it across the ground with every step, a sharp contrast to the steady click of her still intact pump. Help me, she whispers. It's an urgent, anguished plea. Please, I'm hurt. Help me. Don't turn around. That's when she gets you. Don't run. She still gets you, but this time she's going to make it hurt. At least, that's the rumor, anyway. Every small town has at least one local urban legend that everyone knows and swears is true because their sisters, best friends, cousins, neighbors, grandson knew a fella who actually encountered it. Ours was the limping woman, so named for her aforementioned distinct gait. It was said that she was a teacher at the elementary school some decades before. Young, beautiful, and the victim of a terrible murder. She had been walking home to the house she shared with her parents one night after school when she realized she was being followed. She sped up and so did her pursuer until both were running down this dark country lane with only open farmland on either side. Her heel broke and her ankle snapped. She fell and her pursuer became her murderer. It was a slow, torturous affair that left her beaten and covered in stab wounds, and when the killer was done, he just left her to bleed out beside the road. She wasn't found until the next morning, and by then, all anyone could do was search for the person responsible. While some believe the man was caught and dealt with not long after, others think he or she is still at large, and the limping woman, as the victim came to be known, won't rest until her killer is caught. I was always skeptical at best of the story. I'd pass the spot where she was supposed to appear a hundred times without incident, as did everyone else I knew. If a murderous ghost lived there, I was pretty sure I'd have seen her. I said as much to my friend Steffi when she was brought up that a friend of a friend of a friend had met the limping woman during lunch at school one day. It's true! She was out on the old highway a couple nights ago and saw her! Steffi insisted stubbornly over our sandwiches. If she actually saw her, wouldn't she be dead? I asked. I thought you weren't supposed to turn around. Ugh, heard her, or whatever. You know what I mean, Rena. Sure, I said with a roll of my eyes. I always frustrated Steffi that I didn't believe her willingness to believe the unbelievable. So, how'd she get away? She said the words, duh! 
Oh, right. The woman's last words. Last words we all somehow know without ever having caught the one person who would have heard them. We know them because the real killer was never caught. He told people who told other people, Ugh, and we all just magically knew to use them to ward off being killed? I finished for her. Steffi frowned. She loved all things spooky and supernatural and had spent a lot of time researching our local legends, especially the limping woman. It's not magic. It just reminds her of her own mother, and she gets distracted by her grief and leaves you alone. Okay, okay, I said, hoping that that would be enough to put an end to the topic. It was an argument neither of us would win, and I didn't feel like getting into it, again, over whether or not a ghost was real. At 15, it was starting to feel silly. Steffi, however, wasn't going to let me off so easily. They say she remains because they got the wrong guy and she's angry about it. Like everyone knew it, but no one cared because they wanted to blame someone. Don't you feel at least a little bit bad for her? She's still waiting for justice after all this time. <sighs> Steffi, she only goes after people who don't believe in her, you know. I didn't like the way Steffi said that. Like she had an idea forming that I wouldn't approve of, and I shook my head. Whatever it is, no. We could go out there, out to the spot she haunts. No, don't be dumb, I said. You don't believe anyway, so what's the big deal? I've walked past there a lot, okay? Nothing ever happened. Have you gone after dark? Steffi had started to smile. No, but so what? That's when she's active. Going in the day doesn't count. This is dumb, I said again. We'll go tonight! Every argument I had was met with the question of whether I was too afraid and Steffi mocking me for being chicken. She kept it up for the rest of lunch, through our shared science class, and then passed notes in the halls between classes after that. By the time the final bell rang, she had worn me down. But not because I believe she's there, I made sure she knew. I'm just going so you shut up. The sun set just after five that evening. At seven, we made up on our bikes in front of my neighborhood. Her parents thought she was doing a project at mine. Mine thought I was at hers. And we had two hours to ride out to the farm where the limping woman was said to haunt and get back before they started trading phone calls. We pedaled hard and fast, leaving behind the glow from windows and street lamps until darkness swallowed up the world around us. With only moonlight to guide us, we wove our way across town and passed into the outskirts, where the insects were louder, the stars were brighter, and the safety that came from the feeling like you were surrounded by other people fell away. It was hard not to feel entirely exposed out on that old road, where the flat fields rolled off into the distance on either side. There was the occasional barn or farmhouse set a ways off down long, dusty drives, but otherwise it was really just us and our bikes and the night. Up ahead, Steffi said from behind me. See the cross? That's the marker for her. We skid to stops a few yards away from it and exchanged a glance almost lost in the shadows. Scared, she asked, breathless with excitement. No, I said. It was an honest enough answer. I was nervous, sure, but who wouldn't be when you're outside after dark? Remember, if you turn around, she gets you. If you try to run, she makes it worse. Just stand still when she's close by and say the words. 
Steffi spoke so seriously that I had to stifle a giggle. It was ridiculous. I kept trying to tell that to all of the butterflies stirring up in my stomach, but it didn't do much good. We climbed off our bikes and set them on our, their kickstands. Steffi groped about for my hand and entwined her fingers with mine. She was shaking. Ready? Let's just get it over with, I replied. We walked up to where the cross was, placed, and paused. Steffi squeezed my hand and took in a slow, shuddering breath. Her fear was starting to have an effect on me, quickening my heartbeat, but I squared my shoulders and clenched my jaw and took a step forward. We crept along the roadside, careful to keep our eyes pointed straight ahead. Steffi kept reminding me in a trembling whisper that looking anywhere else could lead to trouble. A minute or two passed, and it couldn't have been longer despite feeling like it, and nothing seemed to happen. My fear began to ebb, replaced by admittedly relieved giddiness that I had been right and also turned to Steffi to say, I told you so. And then I realized how quiet it was. All of the insects that had been singing loudly when we had arrived had gone silent. There were no distinct calls from night birds, no breeze passing over us, nothing. Just the sound of our own breathing. To my surprise, Steffi sighed, disappointed. I wondered if she realized how quiet everything had become. How could she not feel how claustrophobic it had become out on that open road? How closed off we were in the dark and the silence? I wanted to ask her, but the question was like a knot in my throat that I couldn't untangle. Behind us, grass rustled, followed by the crunch of loose gravel underfoot. Like someone was pulling themselves slowly out of the field and onto the road. Drag. Drag. Every hair on my body stood up at once. Rena? I hadn't realized that my griff on Steffi's hand had tightened so much. I could feel her eyes on me, but I couldn't bring myself to look at her. From somewhere over my shoulder, a woman started to sob softly. Help me, she cried plaintively. Rena? Steffi said again. She's coming, I managed to whisper. Instead of being scared, Steffi snorted. <laughs> Real funny. I get it, okay? The limping woman is just made up. I'm convinced now. You don't have to rub it in. Drag. Drag. The unmistakable sound of someone inching towards us, slowly, painfully, crying out with each step. Please, she begged. I'm hurt, and he's still out there. Steffi, I hissed, tears burning in my eyes. She's coming. There must have been something in my voice, a tightness that only true terror could cause, that I convinced my friend that I wasn't just pretending. She grabbed my forearm with her other hand and clutched it until her nails were digging into my skin. She only goes after people who don't believe, Steffi said. That must be why... What do I do? I begged, my mind white and blank. My entire body was screaming to run, to get away from that thing that was getting closer and closer. But Steffi's firm grasp and my own mounting dread held me in place. Please, the limping woman sobbed. Turn around. Help me. The words, Steffi said hurriedly. You have to say the words when she's right behind you. What words? I wanted to scream, but I couldn't speak or think. I could only hear her. Drag. Drag. The legend said you'd hear her uneven footsteps and be forced to listen to her pleas. 
but no one ever mentioned the smell or the stench of rotten earth and blood that oozed through the air, slowly surrounding me and wrapping itself around me like tentacles, smothering me. I gagged and pressed my free hand over my mouth and shook my head violently, trying to clear it, trying to make sense of things. Steffi was jerking on my arm and saying something to me over and over again, but I could barely hear her over the limping woman's cries. The smell was getting so strong, making my stomach pitch and heave until I thought I'd be sick. I leaned heavily on Steffi, and she pulled me in close so that her lips were beside my ear. Through the veil of panic and nausea, I heard her scream, Say the words! Drag. Drag. The limping woman was so close behind us now that I could feel the chill radiating off of her. The words, I thought. I had to say the words. It just reminds her of her own mother, and she gets distracted by the grief and leaves you alone. I heard Steffi's voice from the previous day echo in my head. Her mother. The words remind her of her mother. The limping woman's last words. But please... Bile rose in the back of my throat. My, my mother's waiting for me. The footsteps stopped and were replaced by a high-pitched, heart-wrenching keen. From somewhere off in the night, a dog started to howl. Insects began to sing again. The wind whistled across the fields. Sounds of normalcy, of life. The limping woman continued to screech while I found my legs again, and with Steffi in tow, tore back to the bikes. I never once looked up from the ground. The only thing I saw as we darted by was a pair of feet and torn stockings and pumps, and the heel of one which was missing. We didn't stop riding until we made it back to my lawn. When we got there, we raced to the bushes on the side of the house and vomited. Steffi claims she didn't hear or see anything that night, but she believes that I did. She believes that I encountered the limping woman. I tried to come up with some kind of rationalization for it, like the power of suggestion or something, when I think back to those footsteps and those sobs and that final scream, I know that there's only one explanation. And now I, too, believe in the limping woman. Well, everyone, I hope you enjoyed that short story reading of The Limping Woman. Next up, we have another uh, spooky Reddit story by Saint Entropy called... Grandma's light is always on. Let's jump right into it. <clears throat> In one corner of my grandma's living room stood a lamp that was almost never turned off. She would change the bulb every week like clockwork, waiting until the afternoon sunlight poured through the windows and filled the room. Even then she'd hurried, holding her breath until the deed was done and the lamp was back on. I would ask her about it once in a while. Each time, she'd smile softly, tassel my hair, and promptly change the subject. I didn't learn the truth until I was 13, the first time I turned off the lamp. I just wanted to see what would happen. Grandma screamed when she walked into the darkened living room, a plateful of cookies falling from her hand and crashing to the floor. I could hear her praying under her breast as she raced to turn the lights back on. Tears were shining in her eyes when she turned to me, her lips pressed thin. Without warning, she slapped me hard across the face. Grandma had never so much as raised her voice before, and I was too shocked to cry. She cried enough for both of us, gathering me up in her arms and begging for my forgiveness. When her face buried in my shoulder, she finally told me about the lamp. It was a ghost light, she'd said. 
Ever since she and my grandpa had bought the house, back when they first arrived in America, the spirits of the dead had plagued her. Only when her burden threatened to drive her mad did she ask grandpa for help. She had expected him to laugh her out of the house, but he had surprised her by nodding gravely. It was he who had first lit the ghost light. It was he who had lit the ghost light. And as long as that beacon burned through the darkness, she had never seen another spirit. I stopped visiting my grandma after that. It started gradually at first, missing a day here and there, but by the time I received the news of her death, I hadn't seen her in over 10 years. As her only living relative, I shouldn't have been surprised when I inherited her house. Yet, as I sat in her lawyer's office listening to him read her will, I was speechless. I had a difficult time paying attention after that, absorbed as I was with the business of remembering. So much love had filled those walls, so many happy memories. As I thought of my tiny, sterile apartment in the city, I quickly made my decision. I was almost overwhelmed by emotion as I walked through the front door. Everything looked exactly as I had remembered it from my childhood. House plants still cluttered the windowsills, decorative bird plates still hung on the walls, and the ghost light still burned in the living room. Seeing the old lamp sent chills down my spine. I froze in my tracks, a smile fading from my lips, and I couldn't help but think of the night my grandma had slapped me so many years ago. I told my mother about the ghost light the next day. She had dismissed it as a simple old world superstition. It was the same way when she was growing up, she told me, and I shouldn't have to worry about it. Still, I couldn't shake the conviction that I had finally seen the true depths of my grandma's lunacy. I ran my fingers through the fringe on the lampshade as I thought, and a bloom of sadness darkening my nostalgia. Sighing heavily, I turned the ghost light off with a decisive click. Something woke me up later that night. I lay in bed listening to the darkness until I heard a scratching sound coming from the living room. Rats were the last thing I wanted to deal with at the moment, and I rolled over with a groan, determined to ignore it until the morning. The scratching continued intermittently, constantly jerking me from the edge of sleep, until I'd finally had enough. I threw my blankets off of me and stormed out into the hall. Moonlight flooded the front of the house, and it didn't bother turning the lights on as I made my way to the living room. I knew every inch of the house, even after so many years, and I moved confidently through the dim light. I was furious at having been woken from a dead sleep, and my anger ill prepared me for what I found. An elderly woman was crouched in the corner, her gaunt back to me. She was scratching at the floor where the walls met, stopping every few minutes to cock her head. A gnarl of dread unfurled in the pit of my stomach. I had no idea how this woman had gotten into my house, and though it was obvious she needed help, it took me some time to summon the courage to approach her. My hand shook as I reached out to gently squeeze her shoulder. I was meant to ask her where she lived, who her caretaker was, but the words were driven from my mind when she turned and I saw her face. Her eyes were solid black, bottomless pits that didn't reflect the moonlight. Her jaw hung impossibly open, unhinged, and the dark tunnel of her mouth spiraled down into her throat. I had a moment to realize who she was, to recognize the familiar map of wrinkles in her face, the curls of her wispy hair. Then my grandma screamed. 
I shrieked, stumbling backwards away from the nightmare in the corner. My arms flailed in the air, reaching for the nearest lamp, and my hands touched it with a ghost light. I yanked the chain, filling the room with light, and she was gone. I've never turned off the ghost light after that. After letting the bulb burn out one evening, I began changing it every week, just as Grandma had. Eventually, I got married, and luckily for me, my wife was tolerant of my strange fixation on the lamp. The light continued to burn, and I lived my life happily enough. But my grandson has been asking about the ghost light lately. Each time he asks, I smile softly, toss his hair, and promptly change the subject. For some reason, I can't bring myself to tell him the truth. I think about how I pulled away from my grandma, how I thought her crazy, and I kept my mouth shut. I worry, though. I know I won't be around forever, just as I know he will eventually turn off the ghost light. I worry that he might see me then, twisted and wrong, scratching in the corner. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed this mini-sode, just me soloing today. Um, my show notes that are going to be linked below um, this episode are pretty short. They've just got our sources and a couple of information pieces that I kind of already mentioned in my beginning announcement. Probably around episode four is when we're going to have that Facebook and that Twitter live, so we'll be able to link those below. And again, um... Definitely check out our Instagram. That's where we're most active right now for our polls. And then, of course, our merch post that's going to be up as well in case you're wondering um, uh, where you can get some straight from the Mother's Beak uh, articles of clothing in the future. Yeah, I know I didn't say straight from the Mother's Beak this episode. I'm kind of disappointed about it. But I really need that banter between me and Corinne in order to rip one of those bad boys out. So um, hopefully in episode four, we'll get a little mother's beak action going on anyway i hope you guys enjoyed this episode and yeah stay tuned for more spooky stories in the future and have a good rest of your night <laughs>